Um, I mean, I know I have issues. Is my mic having issues? That's the, that's the real question. Um, there you go. There's a sign. Well, before we jump in this morning, thank you, Ty, for reading the scripture. I almost jumped up in the middle of that and asked him to say, Luke, I am your father. Um, but I, I just, um, I didn't want to interrupt the reading of God's word there. Um, but later, but later. Um, we have our own James Earl Jones in our midst here. Um, that was, that was awesome. Um, I always wanted to have a voice like that, and I don't. And so when I hear others with that voice, I become covetous. Um, so y'all can pray for me this morning um, with that. Well, we are going to begin this morning um, in Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to go to Galatians chapter 3, that's not where we're going to land for the entirety of our um, morning together. We'll actually be in Isaiah 1, but I want to begin here in Galatians 3 just to set some context um, of what we're going to go to in Isaiah 1. Today is Orphan Sunday. What does that mean? Well, as the church, we recognize that it's our responsibility to care for the least of these, the least among us. And God over and over in Scripture tells us that the least of these is the widows and the orphans. He constantly points them out as the ones who we should care for, the ones we should lift up. And so there's an organization the Christian Foundation for Orphan Care. Um, And every year they sponsor what's called Orphan Sunday. It usually falls the first Sunday of November. And they ask churches across the globe to take this day to talk to their people about caring for orphans and the church's responsibility to care for orphans. And so that's what we're going to do today. We are joined with over 500 people who registered events on the website. We don't know how many more churches around the globe are talking about orphan care today, but um, we joined the church globally in recognizing the need to care for orphans. And so this morning, we're going to begin in Galatians 3, and then we're going to jump back to the Old Testament to Isaiah 1. Join me in verse 1 of Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed 
is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give it a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, Paul tells us. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So Paul is laying the foundation. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. The law was never meant to save you. This offspring that the covenant talks about is Christ, is what Paul's saying. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Because you people were messed up. And so I had to give you something to keep you in line. Okay? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring, Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith for as many of you were baptized into christ have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in christ jesus and if you are christ then you are abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. And amen. I could close and be done. <laughs> we have been adopted as sons, heirs of the promise of God given to Abraham. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. That's where we'll camp out this morning. I know that was a long passage to read through just to make that point. But you needed to hear how all of this ties together. We need to know where we came from. We are children of a promise. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God through the man Jesus Christ by faith alone. So this morning, as we begin talking about orphan care, we first need to recognize that we were orphans. We had no father. And as you saw in the video this morning, a lot of people that have seen this video asked, 
okay, so are those people really orphans? Or is this like all spiritual? Is this, what, what's the deal here? And to that, my answer was yes. Yes. Some of the people on the video may have been orphans physically on this earth. But all of them, for sure, were orphans spiritually. They had no father. So this morning as we begin this discussion, we need to talk about and understand the fact that we were orphans. We too were fatherless. And so we begin in Isaiah 1. If you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, we're all there. Isaiah 1, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Then he says this. This is Isaiah to the nation of Israel. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. These are the same words that Moses begins with when he tells the Israelites the law that God has given him on the mountain. This is how Abraham begins his pro- or Moses begins his proclamation. And we have the same here with Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. When Yahweh speaks, you better listen. That's what he's saying. Take note. And here's God. What God says. Children I have reared and brought up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And here's Isaiah with his two cents. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of your foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, is overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. The Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. We should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Here's God again. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and goats or of lambs. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds before, uh, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. 
So we have this long passage where God is speaking to his children, Israel. And Israel has a problem. And we're going to talk about that problem in a second. But notice what he first says in verse 2. The first words out of God's mouth to the nation of Israel is this. Children I have reared and brought up. Children I have reared and brought up. God says before anything, I'm going to let these people know that they're mine. That I have made them my children. Now all through the Bible, the people of God are referred to in many different ways. Eric and I, my roommate, were talking last night about how one relationship just couldn't say everything that needed to be said about God and his people. He calls them a nation, a children, or his children. He calls them his bride. All these things that God uses because one type of relationship just can't sum up the type of relationship God has with his people. But what he says here is you are my children And this is important. He has adopted these. When God called out Abraham, he lived in a nation of idolatry. From what we can tell in history, his dad made idols. They carved idols for people. They worshipped a multitude of gods. They were spiritually orphans, making up things to worship. And God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. No reason is given why God chose Abraham except that God chose Abraham. That's what he did. He is God. He chooses. So he chooses Abraham. He adopts him as his child. And he promises that a great nation will come from him. And through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As we read in Galatians 3, we are part of these people of the promise. We are children of the promise. We too were orphans. God called us out. So as we read through this passage, there are specific things that are going to be said that probably don't have to do with our current situation in a physical sense. Like our cities around here aren't lying desolate at the moment, right? Um, Our economy is pretty good right now, okay? There's not famine. Things aren't being burned down. So we're going to read some things that, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, it does apply to you. It may not be directly what's happening at the moment. But we need to understand, as children of the promise, if we have placed our faith in Christ, God is using Isaiah to speak to us as well. And we need to take heed. So the first thing we need to recognize is our adoption. Next, what does he say? But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What is he saying? Why have they rebelled? Why does he give the reason for their rebellion? Well, at the end of that verse, I think he sets out the reason for the rebellion. My people don't understand. They don't realize that they've been adopted. They don't realize that they're my children. That requires something of them to act in a different way. 
if you are the child of the President of the United States, there are going to be some expectations on the way you act, right? There are going to be some expectations on the way you carry yourself in public. Because whatever you do reflects on your father. However you choose to live reflects on your father. And I'm sure every president who has sat in the White House, who had children of a young age, had a talk with them of some kind that said, okay, there are going to be people that follow you around to protect you, but there are also going to be people that follow you around with cameras. And there are going to be people always looking at your life and examining it under a microscope. And whatever you do reflects on me. And so I need you to act this way so that it reflects well on me. Because when you mess up, it brings my image down. Israel is rebelling because they don't understand who their father is. God said, I've adopted these kids and a donkey knows its master, but the people of Israel don't understand who their daddy is. And so they've rebelled and they've made me look bad. And so what we understand from this passage, just in this short couple of verses, is that we... We don't do the law. We don't perform works of the law. We don't act by the law to please God. We've already been adopted. If we have faith in Christ, we've already been made sons. Just like he said, when I called Abraham, he was my son when he had faith in me. But the law came. Why did the law came? To show him how the son of God is to act. To show him how the child of God is supposed to carry himself. And so we too have been told how we should act as children of God. We must understand our adoption in order to understand how we are to live. And then in verse 4 through 10, Isaiah goes on this rant against Israel. Sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. You're feeling really bad about yourself at this point if you're Israel listening to this, right? Or you're ticked at him and you want to kill him, which happened to a lot of the prophets, right? Um, so, so maybe some people had that, <laughs> that idea as well. And so Isaiah goes on this rant and he talks about the country being desolate. God has done all these things to bring you back to himself. Why do you continue to worship your idols? Why do you continue to leave God? Verse 9 he says this, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Absolutely decimated off of the face of the earth. But Isaiah is recognizing that God is gracious. He chose to save a few. And there are survivors. So, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And then here's what God says to these people. If I don't flip too many pages. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. 
When you come to appear before me, who has inquired of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Now, if you're the nation of Israel at this point in history, what are you thinking? God, we didn't come up with this sacrificial system on our own. Like, we didn't decide that we were going to slaughter an animal every time we sinned. Like, this was not something that we came up with. You told us to do these things, right? If you're the nation of Israel, at this point, you're going, wait, wait a second. You said to do those. You said to observe the Sabbath. You said that we were to worship you this way. Now why are you telling us you don't desire the blood of bulls and of goats? What's the problem? And he goes on. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So God just tells them, as they're believing that they're following everything he's commanded them, he says, I don't want any of it. And because you're doing all of that, I'm not going to look at you anymore when you raise your hands to worship me. I'm not going to hear your prayers. But why? Why does he say these things to Israel? Because he has a different expectation of them. These things are not what's making them clean. These things are not what makes them acceptable before God. See, they're relying on their works to make them acceptable before God. If we just keep these feasts, if we keep the Sabbath, if we make the sacrifices, if we do all these things on this checklist that God has given us, He will be satisfied with us. But as we've already discussed, the law wasn't there to make them clean. The law was there to teach them how the children of God act. They first must place their faith in God and then live the way God has told them they are to live. So look what he says in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now God is telling them what he expects of them. He expects of them a new heart and a transformed life. That's what he expects. And he expects the same thing of us today. How many of us are sitting in this room this morning and as we read what God says to Israel when he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and fat of well-fed beasts. How many of us sit here and hear those things and say, well, I'm not sacrificing beasts or anything? Um, but I come in to church every Sunday. I do my worship time with Jesus and with the people of God. And I hear a sermon. And that's what God expects of me. So I, I'm going to do that. Maybe I'm a part of a life group because that's a good thing. It's part of the church. And so I do that. I'm reading my Bible at least three to five times a week. I'm, I'm praying um, at meals. Um, so I'm, I'm spending time doing all the things that God expects me to do. I grew up in Sunday school. I know the rules. I'm doing all my things. I've got my checklist. I'm serving 
every now and then outside of the church, making a meal for somebody, whatever it is, we've got our own little checklist. We're just like the nation of Israel. We've got the things that we know God expects of us, and so we do them over and over and somehow expect that we're being pleasing to God when what God would say to us is, I don't delight in your worship. Because you don't have a transformed life. Your heart isn't clean, and all these things that you're doing to make yourselves clean, it's not working. I don't hear your prayers. I don't look at you when you raise your hands to me. Here's what he says. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. And look what God assumes or knows about who we are. Cease to do evil. He knows that we're evil. He just starts there, right? It's not like, well, some of you are doing pretty good. You clean your act up just a little bit. Some of you got a long way to go. And then some of you just evil, <laughs> right? No, no, no. He starts with cease to do evil. You've all got this issue. You're all evil. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Why does he say learn to do good because it doesn't come naturally to sinful human beings. Doing good is not natural for us. Being selfish and greedy is natural to us. Worshiping all these other gods that I've made up is natural for me. What's natural for me is evil. God says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. God knows that the world system and its fallen state is unjust. There is no justice. So he says, you have to seek it out. Correct oppression. I'm saying people, when left up to their own devices, are going to oppress people. Because they want power, they want fame, they want money. So they're going to walk on and step on whoever they need to to get to where they want to be. This is who you are, is what God's saying. But he says, don't be that. Do the opposite of that. Correct oppression. Make it right. Then he says, bring justice to the fatherless. Because God knows left up to our own devices... The weakest people among us will be ignored and pushed aside for our own agenda. Because I want what I want and I don't care who I have to walk over or ignore to get there. God, caring for orphans or caring for people without fathers, man, that's, that's like somebody else can do that, but I don't have time for that. I'm chasing my American dream and I'm going to get it. And that's a waste of my time doing all that other stuff. I don't, I don't have time for that. You know what it would take for me and my family to bring another child into my house? Do you know how that's going to cramp my budget? Do you know how that's going to mess with my life? What if that kid's had issues? What if that kid was born to a mother who was on crack? 
And now I have to deal with this baby that might have problems later in life? What about this child who was abandoned because of his Down syndrome? Man, I just don't have time. With everything I'm doing to amass all I can while I'm here, I don't have time to care for a child with Down syndrome. But God says to his people, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He knows that these things are anti-society. This is not what the human heart naturally goes toward. That's why he has to tell these people how they are to act as children of God. He knows that they're not naturally going to do these things. So he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So I ask, what are you doing? If you are a child of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Are you seeking justice? Are you learning to do good? Are you looking to lift up those who are oppressed? What are you doing for the orphan? And listen, orphan is a word that carries so many meanings. So when you hear me say orphan, don't only think of a child in an orphanage somewhere in a third world country around the world. Orphan, by a biblical definition, is someone who has only one parent. So it could be someone who has no parents. It could be someone who only has one parent. What are you doing to help the single mom that lives down the street from you? Have you offered to babysit for her? She needs to go work. Have you offered to help that family in any way? What about the single dad that may live a block over? Have you offered to take his kid with yours somewhere so he can have some time alone? Or just time to get things done around the house? Are you offering him help around the house? How are we as believers in Jesus Christ taking care of the fatherless? How are we doing in pleading the cause of the orphans and the widows. And just so you don't think this is an Old Testament thing, James 1, 27 repeats this exact thing. True and undefiled religion before God our Father is this, that you care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. This is not just an Old Covenant, Old Testament, Israel as a nation, you should do this. This is, you as God's people should do this. And you know why he says that? Why does he specifically go back to the orphan and the widow? Over and over again, when he talks like this, he speaks of the orphan and the widow directly. Why does he say this? Because if it's God's people, we're taking care of the widow and the orphan, it exposes our heart where it is. Because it is not our nature to care for the most vulnerable among us. It requires us to go places that are uncomfortable for us. 
It requires us to go to the widow and to the orphan in their distress. It doesn't say, hey, you should tell the widow and the orphan to come to you for help. That's not what God says. No, no, no. You should go to the widow and the orphan. See, Christ didn't sit in heaven and say, you should all come to me. You should probably seek me. You, you should make yourselves holy and get to me. But what does he do? He wraps himself in flesh and he comes to us. He meets us in our sin, in our distress, and he makes us his children. And he's calling us as the people of God to do the same because God sees that if we are going after the widow and the orphan, if we are meeting the oppressed in their need, in their distress, then our hearts are his because we are not doing that of our own. We are not doing that on our own. And Isaiah recognizes this and God writes it here in verse 18. Because you know these people are thinking, huh? You told us all these rules that we're doing and we're trying to follow and we're... We're doing good just to keep up with those. And now you said you don't want them anymore, but you want us to do these things. Now, do we need to add to this list? Or do we need to X off the other one and, and go to this list? Like, what, what are we supposed to do here? And they also recognize this is going to involve a change of, like, who I am. Like, these aren't outward things I can just do. Seeking justice is not just something I can do. I have to, like, believe and know what justice is. I have to understand what that is. That's why God says you have to learn to do good. i got to know what justice looks like. And so when God says this, he expects this to be the question, well, how are we ever going to do that? And he says this in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white like wool. See, what God does is says, I'm guaranteeing that you're going to do these things. Because I'm going to make you white. I'm going to wash away your sin. And here we have this beautiful picture of the gospel. God says, you are my children. So act like my children. But when you fail to act like my children, know this, on the last day, you will be white as snow. See, God doesn't say, if you can't accomplish these things on your own, you're not mine. No, he says, you can't accomplish these things on your own. It's okay, because I've sent one who can. He will accomplish it for you. He will give you his righteousness. You are an heir of Christ. You get all that God has in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the topic of caring for orphans, we understand, man, I can't care for every orphan out there. I can't. I'm, I'm one person. We're one family. I can't do everything that's required to care for orphans. And God says, that's okay. But that doesn't mean you do nothing. I'll take care of your salvation. I'll make you righteous. But this is still what I expect of my children and how to live. 
So what are some ways that you can care for orphans? Maybe you're sitting in here this morning and never, you've never even heard this. This is like the farthest thing from your mind. Wait, you're telling me that to be a Christian means that I should be caring for orphans? Yes. Yes. Because of what God said. If you understand your adoption, then you should be driven to care for the orphans. Recognizing who you were and what God has done with you should drive you to want to do that for others. So, maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that there's a mandate for Christians to care for orphans. This has been commanded of us to care for orphans. And you're like, but what do I do? I don't even know where to begin that conversation. Understand this. Hear me on this. This does not mean that every Christian should go out and adopt children. Let's, let's put that out there. Because there are some who begin to think that way. Well, this means I have to adopt. I, I don't even know where to begin with adoption. I don't, I don't know if we have enough income to adopt. How, I don't know that I'm called. To, but if Christ commands, Christ doesn't command you to adopt. Okay? Maybe some of you in this room are called to adopt. Maybe that's your calling. But for those of us who that's not our calling, listen, pray. Pray for orphans. Pray for those working with orphans all over the world. That's step one. That may not even be on your mind at this point. That may not be on your prayer radar. Put it on your prayer radar. Like, make this something you pray for. This is one way in which we as believers care for the oppressed and the orphans. We pray for them. Number two, you give. You give. There are opportunities to give. What do I give to? Do I give to one of those little TV guys that said they're, pay, they're like feeding children in Africa? Or do I, do I give to what, whatever the ministry is? Or whoever the guy is asking for more of my money? Who, who do I give to? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Arrow Ministries has an office in Angleton. Arrow Ministries works with, it's a Christian nonprofit ministry that works with fo- the foster care system in the state of Texas. They do many different things. They provide training for you to, to become a foster family, which I would encourage any of you, if you're looking into that, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but here's something a friend of mine shared with me. She works for an adoption agency. She said there are many kids in the foster care system who get raised in the foster care system, and at 18, they get out of the system, but the state of Texas provides them with a free education at any state school if they have been in the foster care system for a certain amount of time. Here's the problem. These kids don't know the first thing about applying to a college. They don't have any income, so they have no clue how they're going to get stuff to furnish a dorm. They don't know how to fill out a job application, a resume. And so they've been raised in this system and then they're pushed out at the age of 18 and they have a chance for a free education but they don't know the first thing about how to take advantage of that and so what I would encourage you to do if you're one of those people we're not called to adopt we may not even be called to foster can you help a college kid can you show them how to apply can you spend some time with them maybe once a week or over, over lunch can you help them get some supplies for the dorm room get some stuff for college 
Could he at least do that? Find ways to give. Third, foster care. Arrow Ministries in Angleton, I talked about, has an interest meeting this Tuesday night. They do one once a month, this Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. at their office in Angleton. They are doing a meeting. Essentially, it's this. If you're interested in foster care, heard about it, don't really know if you want to do it, but you just want to see what it's all about, you can go to this informational meeting where they'll just tell you. They'll be straightforward with you what it requires to be a foster family, what they need, what their needs are. And maybe you come away from that meeting and go, you know what, I think we could do that. I think we could take in a child from the foster care system, love them, give them a home, help them get into a college. I think we should maybe consider that. And maybe that's where it stops for you. It's just fostering kids, giving them a loving environment to come into and not spend their life in the system. We have 29,000 children in the foster care system in the state of Texas. Brazoria County has the most of any county in the state of Texas, and many of them are being shipped out of our county, away from the city, the home that they've always known, because not enough people here are willing to foster or to adopt. And so they're all being shipped out all over the state, the places they don't know and are unfamiliar with. So maybe you would say, you know what, I think we can foster a kid. I think we can foster a child. And then your church family can do the giving part and help you in that. Don't think you're doing this alone. That's the biggest mistake you can make is think, man, my family can't handle that. Listen, your church can handle that. We can help you with that. If that's something you feel God calling you to, understand that you have a family of believers here that loves you, and we will do everything we can to assist you in that calling. Lastly, adoption. Maybe you are called to adopt. Maybe you've put that out of your mind because it's inconvenient, it's costly, it's going to require me to make some cuts in my budget and other areas. Guess what? When God called us to care for orphans, He didn't care about your budget. He didn't care what your house payment was. You see, you're called to this. You're called to care for orphans. And if God has called you, has laid on your heart the need to adopt, and you're just pushing it aside, and you continue to do that, listen, friend, you are in sin and you're being disobedient. Like I said, everybody in this room is not called to adoption. But if you know that God's been dealing with you over this issue and you just refuse because of some monetary reason, it's not a good excuse. God knew when he called his people to this, it was going to be very anti-culture, very anti-society, and it is absolutely anti-American dream. I have a friend who has eight children, three of them biological, five of them adopted, all of them, all of the adopted kids that they have um, were, were told to them by a social worker in the city who knew they had been interested in adoption and hadn't done it yet, she called them with the first one and said, hey, listen, um, this family outside of Louisville has adopted a little girl from China. She's been here two weeks, and they decide they don't want her anymore. Do, 
would you and your wife be interested? Yes. Well, don't you want to talk to your wife? No. Well, shouldn't you check with your... I've been married to my wife 13 years. Yes. We'll take her. And they took her. And, and one by one, that happened. All five of their adopted children are re-adoptions from people who jumped into it and got this child and then realized, we're not called to this. We can't handle this. We can't do this. So by all means, don't hear me say, you must adopt. That's not what I'm saying. But if you feel called, then you should adopt. And know that you have a church family here to support you and help you in that. Orphan care is one of the most neglected things that we as a body do. Caring for widows is another one. And we need to have that discussion as well. But what are you doing? We've got Operation Christmas Child coming up right now. Have you put a box together? Their kids single-family homes, maybe no parents all over the world who those boxes are going to go to. Things like soap and toothbrushes and things they don't even have access to. You can care for orphans with Operation Christmas Child. That's one small thing that you can do. But what are the bigger things you can do? How are ways that you can get involved? What are things you can do? Get creative. You can go to Arrow Ministries website, just Google that, Arrow Ministries. It'll pop up. Angleton, they have a local office. They have offices all over the country. They have a local one in, in Angleton. They'll be more than willing to help you get involved in caring for orphans in our foster care system. Maybe it's providing some diapers for a family that has, is fostering a kid and just can't afford all of this stuff. Whatever it is, we are called to care for the orphans. So let's be about God's business as God's adopted children in doing that. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that before time, you called us, you chose us in Christ to make us your children. God, I pray that we would see our adoption and our status as orphans as a call to care for the orphans in the same position that we were in spiritually. God, but that we just wouldn't provide them with the physical needs, but God, that we would provide them with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would not only be adopted into a family physically, but God, that we would be able to see them adopted into an eternal family. That they would be co-heirs with Christ. Help us to be about your work. In Jesus' name, amen.